right. Hi. Welcome to Residential Spread. I'm Alexandra Edwards, and I'm joined today by Corey Gergen. Hi, Corey. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Pretty good. And we also got Josh Cohen here. Hey, Josh. How's it going? It's going, and it's going. And going, and going, and going? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. All right. Awesome. So we are, as always, term-limited contingent faculty teaching humanities at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Now, like other schools, Georgia Tech has experienced massive disruptions, shifts, and changes due to the spread of coronavirus. But this fall, it has sent students and instructors back into the classroom. And on this show, we investigate the sources and the consequences of these policies, discuss what it's like to navigate higher ed during a pandemic as members of the precariat. Today, we're talking to Andy Cole, the award-winning editor-in-chief at the George Ann, the student newspaper at Georgia Southern University. Andy oversees all coverage for the George Ann, contributes long-form investigative and feature pieces, and leads a team of managing editors and correspondents. He's led numerous investigations, inciting change and broken news on major stories from the Georgia Southern community. His reporting's been picked up by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, multiple Savannah local media outlets, and shared thousands of times on social media. Prior to the George Ann, Andy worked for Fox News' America's Newsroom and GCPS-TV, the educational access television station for Gwinnett County Public Schools. Andy has also garnered numerous student and professional awards and nominations, including a bronze telly win, a nomination for a Southeast Emmy, and two student Emmy wins. Andy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm realizing quickly that that bio is a little long. I apologize. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of good stuff in it, though. We, we have to yeah. celebrate all these amazing things that you bring to the table here when we talk about student journalism. Absolutely. Well, again, I appreciate you all having me on. Yeah, it, it's, it's not long. It's impressive. Um, so I'm going to jump in uh, to start, as we always do, with the temperature check. Uh, the temperature check is a statistic or number that is relevant to our uh, conversation for the day. And today our temperature check is 77,000. And that's the number of new visitors to the George Ann website from August 15th to September 7th, which coincided with the paper's major COVID coverage. Um, Andy, how does that compare to sort of your normal visitor load? Well, we're seeing for sure an increased amount of readership. We're, we're seeing that really in all levels of journalism. I'll give you an example. Um, ABC World News Tonight with David Muir uh, over the summer uh, was one of the most watched programs in all of television, um, which is remarkable. And we haven't seen that for years. But but for us at the George Ann, to give you some reference, in March, I believe we had uh, 74,000 total page views. And that's not users. So that's page views. Mm-hmm. And you'll also notice that, you know, Uh, As I mentioned in my recent letter from the editor, those are just users, those 77,000 people, and most of which are reading two or more things when they're on our website, of course, statistically speaking. Um, So we're definitely seeing an increased amount of readership that, you know, that we've never seen before. And um, we're really, really, uh, you know, here to serve our audience. That's amazing. It's it's that number really stood out to me because it's big. It's so big. Um, and and really speaks to, as you said in your piece, um, which we're going to get into in a minute here, um, that your coverage and, and your news philosophy and the work that you're doing uh, is really making an impact um, and is really getting in front of new eyeballs um, and bringing something uh, to people that they seem to really need. So it's really Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. <laughs> but, I, but I will say it's not just me. We have a team of 
of correspondents and managing editors and, and those that lead other divisions that, that help us every single day and, and contribute great, great content. Um, so it is not just me. It is a, it's a team effort for sure. That's awesome. Well, uh, this is going to seem a little um, backwards then as you just so generously spread around the love. Um, but I'm going to ask you a question a little more specifically about yourself. Um, how how is it that you got into journalism? Um, could you sort of walk us through a little bit of your journey towards being named editor in chief of the Georgian at this moment, which has turned out to be so wildly historical? Yeah, well, I've known what I've wanted to do since the fifth grade. Um, I, in elementary school, actually started a, a school newspaper. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure it got 77,000 uh, users. <laughs> actually, I can guarantee that it didn't get 77,000 users. What was it called? What was your first newspaper? Gosh, called? that's a tough question. I was thinking about that <laughs> and I was like, I think it was the Longhorn Monthly or the Longhorn Weekly. Um, I'll yes. have to come back. And look, but um, anyway, in middle school, I was a big part of the morning announcements uh, when I started in sixth grade, uh, and then everyone left. It was just eighth graders and me, and so I was sort of able to, you know, gather a team together and and you know recreate the morning announcements. And then uh, in in high school, um, sort of did a very similar thing. The video program was uh, sort of uh, uh, lackluster, for lack of a better term, and uh, you know, so some friends and I that were really really passionate about what we wanted to do. Um, really took it to the next level. And there we, you know, that's where I got the nomination for a student Emmy um, for a piece uh, my best friend Thomas Harmon and I completed. Um, but we also, you know, I won two student Emmy awards there. Um, and then that sort of propelled me into Gwinnett. And I worked for them during my junior and senior years as a digital media intern. And, um, you know, the team and I want to tell, I say I, uh, I worked on the team. I did not lead the team, but uh, I worked on the team that won the bronze telly for our digital citizenship series. Um, and of course, you know, dozens of other projects that I did there. And then over the summer, this past summer, I joined the team at Fox News. Uh, Fox News is America's newsroom. I was writing readers and pitching stories, um, all that fun stuff. And then, you know, it, we'll back up a little bit. I started at the Georgian in January as uh, what we call a contributor. Um, so it's basically a trial period for new journalists, you know, who want to figure out uh, if this is the right fit for them. And then, you know, of course, COVID hit in March. And so we went digital. And then in May, uh, our student media advisor, David Simpson, asked me and three others, they said, hey, you know, do you all want to serve as managing editors? Because we didn't have someone that stepped up and said, hey, I want to be uh, editor in chief. And so uh, I took that opportunity. Uh, so I went from contributor to managing editor. And then in early August, uh, it came time to you know, decide we needed an editor in chief. And um, I applied. And here we are. Wow. Straight to the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, it has been quick, but it also seems like, of course, it's been a uh, sort of long gestating um, life goal for you um, working in journalism. And it's really, as you were talking, it's really a testament to um, the school system, right, and the ability for the school system to give you um, – uh, an outlet or, or different ways to engage with journalism um, as a, a practice, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I couldn't say enough great things about Gwinnett County Public Schools. Um, you know, I, I sort of like to joke with some of my former coworkers that, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid really, really quick. Um, so I use the buzzwords like world class and, and promise of Gwinnett and those sort of things. But it is true. <laughs> you know, Gwinnett is great. Um, and they provide great opportunities for students. Um, just earlier this week, I was I was recording a testimony for um, 
the academies uh, and career technical education because, you know, and I'll continue to do that for the rest of my life because I believe that, you know, uh, without them, I don't know where I would be. Uh, and I don't want to say career because I'm only 20 years old, but, you know, um, experiences, I guess. I love a good public school success story. Um, so important, right? We should fund them better in Georgia. Um <laughs> So, Andy, as you now you haven't been uh, editor in chief at the Georgian for very long, um, but as you think back about your time there, what is like I'm interested to know what's a moment or a piece or a story um, that you're like that you've been the most proud of so far? Um, I'd actually love to talk about the first piece that I did that actually just came out in the recent weeks. Um, it was uh, it was a piece that I pitched on my first day at the Georgian. I got a news tip, um, you know, that there was mold in on-campus dorms. And so, you know, we... Whoa, 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 whoa. Mold? Yeah. We call it environmental growth? I I think you mean environmental growth. (laughs) It's the preferred term. (laughs) Uh, But there was a lot of uh, environmental growth in in said dorms. Uh, And so we did an investigation revealing... You know, uh, so many more work orders. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. I apologize. But so many more work orders, I think nearly double than the University of Georgia had in the same time period. Georgia Southern spent, you know, about $100,000 on mold remediation, um, you know, in one single school year. And uh, these four girls that were sort of the centerpiece of the story spent what I like to call or what I dubbed uh, 91 days in limbo. They were in temporary housing for 91 days. Um, before their dorm was ever put back online. And, and by the way, they never went back to their original dorm. They actually moved into a dorm down the hall that had just been put back online for mold as well. Um, so, you know, we knew that this was not an isolated incident. And, um, you know, I knew that, you know, this is something that needs to be talked about for sure. 91 days is like almost a full semester, right? Absolutely. You know, we were talking about it. Uh, we like to joke, uh, those four girls are, are friends of ours and, um, I met we met them on my birthday, which was September 10th, so earlier last week, and we realized, you know, they started having mold problems in October, uh, and so we realized, you know, I, I didn't realize it last year. They were we only really knew them in our particular dorm for a month, and then they were gone. Um, so that sort of puts it into perspective. Yeah. Wow. First off, happy belated birthday. My birthday is September 9th. So represent. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we so we made this joke about environmental growth because we actually talked to a former Georgia Tech RA on the show um, who said that she actually quit. She had to leave um, working as a resident advisor uh, at Georgia Tech because her room was so full of mold that it was exacerbating her chronic health conditions. Um, So it's it's interesting to me i think that there's so much going on here with like how universities manage housing um and whether or not they are truly like uh meeting uh the standard of care that they need to in these um facilities that they're having students live in and it sounds like you know this is also an issue for you guys at georgia southern as to whether or not they're being responsible landlords Absolutely. You know, it's a big concern, especially considering, I mean, you all know as faculty that, you know, freshman students uh, are required to live on campus. So you're required to play, a, a, or rather, you're required to pay a pretty penny. And then, you know, you, you are thrust into this situation that may not be the safest. Um, and, you know, as I, again, I'm going to reference the letter, but, you know, we are working for our students, those that are, that, that are voiceless, those that, you know, that pay much of the salaries of university officials. 
And so, uh, you know, that's what we want to do here at the George Inn. Well, I do. We do want to dig in a little bit more to the the um, opinions piece that we've been referencing a couple times now. Um, and this is uh, not the first time that the Georgian actually came to my attention and to Corey's attention. I know um, we've been sort of following a lot of the coronavirus coverage coming out of Georgia Southern um, and specifically some of the AAUP uh um, activism and work that that has found a voice in the paper specifically. Um, but I guess uh, one question I wanted to ask about this piece that you published, which was about um, sort of a, a high ranking official at Georgia Southern questioning your motives or questioning your agenda um, when it comes to the way that the paper is covering coronavirus, specifically in the return to campus. Um, were you expecting... <laughs> When you signed up on August 1st to be editor-in-chief, were you expecting to be, um, you know, bullied like this by high-ranking officials at the school? I'm not sure I was expecting anything that's happened since I was named editor-in-chief. Um, <laughs> I've spoken to that particular university official before, um, and, and there have been difficult conversations, um, but never uh, like that, never an assertion that, you know, uh, I have an agenda, which – I do. We do have an agenda at the Georgian is to keep our readers informed, hold the powerful accountable and help our readers understand the world around them. Can you talk a little more about sort of the the situation you found yourself in having received this email um, and what it what effect it had on you? Why you think this official was interested in questioning you like this um, and maybe what it is about what you guys have been doing that you think is is potentially raising their ire or at least drawing a lot of um, attention to your work? Yeah, well, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you know, the day or, or two days before we got that email, we published a story uh, with the headline, White House named Statesboro and Bullock County as Red Zones. Um, and, and it goes on. I, I don't really remember the headline word for word. but we, And we published that, and that story uh, went viral. Um, and, uh, so I think that, that part of the reason that he, this particular official decided to reach out to me is, uh, because of that particular piece. But I think it was also just, you know, our coverage. We, uh, sort of believe that this is, uh, this is sort of like a flood. Our student media advisor, uh, David Simpson, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, describes this sort of as a flood and we've got to keep talking about how the, <clears throat> how the waters are continuing to rise and, um, you know, not letting our foot off the gas. Uh, likely, you know, if I had to guess what this official was trying to do, as I discussed in the letter, is is playing the ref. And, and playing the ref, uh, you know, to me is in this particular si situation, I'm the ref, and and this official is the coach, and this official's co or this official's team uh, holds, and I throw a flag on the play, and and that coach rails into me, the ref, and uh, you know, so that next time that coach's team holds, I'll go soft on him. Let me be absolutely clear, as I was in the letter, that email was not successful. Um, you know, I didn't actually see the email first. I saw a message from my student media advisor who was CC'd on the email, which is incredibly rare um, because as an advisor, he has no uh, say over our coverage, uh, no matter how much you know we could disagree or how uh, uh, important he thinks a particular subject is. At, at the end of the day, he's just an advisor, and that's what college media and student media is all about. Um, and so he was CC'd on that email, and I actually saw a message from him first before I saw the email, and I read the email. And I was um, 
it was it was shocking to say the least. Uh, you know, uh, the 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 first half of the email was fine except for that last uh, line where you know he said, you know, do you understand why you were asked if you have an agenda? And that um, irked me to say the least. Well, it's it's irking because in that context, agenda means philosophy, and of course you have a philosophy, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm wondering. If you see um, a, a similar uptick in interest in student-produced uh, journalism um, across the country, like like is this um, sort of drive to go to student media um, at these different colleges? Is that something that that you think may, or you see happening around the country? Um, and if so, like why do you think it is that now in the middle of this pandemic? Um, we are relying so much on student journalism that may not have been um, at the top of all of our news feeds previously. Well, I think, you know, in any, um, you know, I, I don't know how much y'all listen or pay attention to news or, or journalism, social media. Um, but, you know, a lot of journalists and um, activists always say that, you know, when there's a, a major event going on, the local news outlets, the local papers, are uh, tend to be the most reliable because they're going to tell you exactly what's going on in the area. And I think that that's true for student journalism as well. Um, I mean, if you look at um, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hills, uh, the Daily Tar Heel, they went viral um, early in August for printing an editorial, um, you know, with a headline that I'm not sure I can say on this podcast. Oh, you um, can definitely, can definitely say, say, it. say it on this podcast. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, but uh, I, uh, I, I don't want to say it. Uh, I, I have to maintain a brand. I'll let them that's say okay. that. Um, but, uh, you know, I think student journalism is more important than it ever has been. I think journalism is more important as, as it ever has been because, you know, at the end of the day, we're on the ground. We're in the classes. We're in the, the virtual classrooms or the physical classrooms. We're at the parties. Um, we're in the bars. We know what's going on, um, you know, throughout the campus. And I think it's better to hear from, you know, uh, the horse's mouth than it is to hear from a major outlet. Now I'm not discrediting the major outlets. They've done, you know, fabulous coverage as well. Um, someone asked me earlier, um, actually from a Pointer Institute piece, it was, it was saying that some ju student journalists feel that, uh, you know, uh, they feel that they're now competing with, with major outlets. And uh, someone tweeted at me and said, you know, you think this is true? And I said, I don't look at ourselves as, as competing. I look at ourselves as collaborating. In the last month, I've done more um, press than I ever have in my entire life. It's sort of unusual to be on this side of the table, um, and that's good. You know, the more outreach the Georgian can get, the better. And so <clears throat> I think, you know, I'll repeat myself. I think student journalism and, and journalism in itself is more important than it ever has been. Absolutely. I would totally agree yeah. with that. Um, um, so we've been talking, we sort of started by talking about the sort of new audiences that came in uh in and in response to your coverage of, of COVID. But I wanted to ask about that community uh that you are writing for more directly. Um have you heard from students um about your coverage? What do um what do the students think about about the past month at the George Ann? That's a great question. Uh we have not, you know, I personally have not heard from many students. Um I hear mainly from faculty and community members and those across the state and across the nation. Um, you know, I, I would hope that our students are reading. Uh, we actually know that our students are reading um, based on, you know, our newsletter that we send out every single day. 
Um, you know, we know that our students are reading, are likely reading our, our digital assets, our digital productions, rather. Even before you wrote this really fantastic opinions piece um, where you talk about, uh, you know, your your quote unquote agenda being questioned and you um, define your news philosophy, uh, even sort of the the opinions piece in which you announced that you had been named editor in chief uh, and you talked about sort of what your philosophy was going to be going into that role um, and and what it's been like for you as uh, a college student. Um, who's grown up, you know, in this past 20 years um, and all of the various uh, sorts of uh, struggles or, or negatives um, that, that your generation has really had to um, confront and deal with from terror to school shooters um, to, you know, to economic recessions, et cetera. Um, I'm wondering from your perspective as a current college student, what do you think the long-term effect of the pandemic is going to be on your generation specifically? Well, I think, you know, we refer to those that were um, in the depression as children as um, uh, the greatest generation. And I don't want to assert that we could be the next greatest generation, but I wouldn't doubt it. Um, you know, as I mentioned in that piece, we, have gone through a lot. We grew up in a terror-ridden society. I was a year and a day old when 9-11 happened. Um, of course, we, we went to middle and high school with, with the fear of uh, school shooters. We went through two economic recessions, um, of which a lot of, of people, you know, suffered and a lot of families suffered. Uh, and so I think, you know, as I titled that uh, opinion piece, you know, during the inevitable uncertainty, the Georgian will be here for you. I think it's so important to realize that our generation has only known uncertainty. And I think, um, you know, I think it's going to make us better, uh, you know, whether I, and I don't think it's just this pandemic. While I do think it's a major event, um, I think it's sort of a culmination of what we grew up in um, and, and how we grew up um, that sort of is, is shaping us to be possibly the next greatest generation. It's yeah, that piece really resonated with me because um, it, it made me think about what would, what do you call your generation? What's your like nickname for your generation? Gen Z. Gen, Gen Z, Z is what I call our generation. Okay. Okay. Um, it made me really sort of stop for a moment and reflect on um, in a lot of the ways that um, millennials frame our like um, teen years and our experience of growing up and coming into consciousness, particularly like a political consciousness, um, your piece made me really stop and think about what, what it's like for Gen Z um, and all of the sort of uh, intensifications um, of, of some of these various things, of which I agree, as you say, the pandemic seems to only be a culmination of, of all of this stuff. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I'm going to tie back to a piece that I did when I was at Gwinnett um, the two years that I was there, I worked on a project um, highlighting the uh, local school career technology uh, uh, education students of the year. And so we, we brought them into our studio and we interviewed them about their experiences in their high school. And, um, you know, we put together a video and I really, really enjoyed doing that both years. And I think uh, that's when I sort of realized and, and granted, I you know also understood what opportunities I had at my school as well. And of course, you know, working with Gwinnett as well. I think, you know, our generation, the thing that, that differentiates us from, from other generations, or, or as I was mentioning earlier, the greatest generation, you know, we have access to things that, uh, you know, 
the greatest generation when they were our age couldn't imagine. Um, we have things that uh, at our fingertips that that your generation may not have uh, have had or or even realized. Um, you know, so I think we are going to take um, these uh, uncertain events, these um, tragedies or, or these negatives, as, as you mentioned earlier. And I think we're going to make the best of them. And I think, you know, our generation is creative. I mean, think about us. You know, I'm on TikTok. I looked last week about 13 hours every week. Um, you know, I'm on YouTube. I'm on Twitter. I'm on, you know, Instagram. We're on these creative platforms where people have the opportunity to, to speak out and be creative. Um, and I think that's what differentiates us. I think, you know, you mentioned the political aspect. I think, you know, our generation will be incredibly politically active because I think people are seeing what's going on around them. And they're realizing that, you know, I want to change it. And they will. And they realize also that the only way to change it is to vote. Um, and so, you know, whether you uh, agree or disagree with, with whoever, you know, the ultimate responsibility, the ultimate way to incite change is to vote. Well, no, I, I, I really appreciate that perspective. Um, for one thing, I think it's nice when millennials and Gen Z uh, people can come together and like um, reflect on experiences without being pitted against each other, which seems to be like a really dominant narrative. Um, no, and... Gen Z for the win. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I do think that's so important, though, to think about Gen Z's creativity um, and the ways that it's interacting and intersecting with digital media and the affordances of all of these digital platforms like TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, um, Snapchat, all of these different places, right? Because, of course, there have been student journalists for an incredibly long time, um, but one of the differences that I see now is that um, I don't have to be a Georgia Southern community member in order to have Georgia Southern's news from the Georgian show up on my timeline um, and I get a chance to look at it. Right. So it's I think it's important and really cool, not only that your generation has this creativity, um, but also that they are willing to utilize the tools that are available um, in immensely creative ways in order to you know, be heard um, in ways that previous generations maybe weren't heard. Absolutely. And I'll sort of echo exactly what you said. You know, I think without social media, we would not be reaching the audiences that we are today. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, we are able to connect with audiences in a way we haven't before. We're able to, as I mentioned earlier, reach audiences that we never have before. And we're able to retain audiences that we never have before because of social media. So I think, you know, a lot of people talk about the negatives of social media, and I'm not denying that there are negatives to social media. But I think from a student journalist perspective, you know, we're able to see exactly what's going on uh, at UNC. We're able to see exactly what's going on at UGA or Georgia Tech or wherever. Um, and, and that's a, you know, a, a click. Um, you know, I can follow whoever I want and, and know, you know, that it's coming from a student journalist. And uh, I think that's incredibly important, and I think that's a great positive of social media. And I encourage you all to, you know, uh, check out the Georgian at thegeorgian.com. I encourage you also to follow me on social media. I am A N D Y C O L E on Twitter and Instagram. I mainly use Twitter though, um, you know. And I also encourage you to, you know, pay attention to what's going on. In if you're a, a faculty member at a college, you know, stay tuned uh, and, and stay plugged into your student journalists. Um, because they are working incredibly hard uh, during this pandemic to make sure that the news gets to you. I know I can speak for the George Ann um, when, when I say that we're working you know, nonstop to make sure that the news gets to you and that it's for you. Um, so, you know, if you're at a college or if you're not, um, I encourage you, you know, still to to uh, to uh, engage with your student journalists.
Absolutely. So important. What are you taking classes on campus this semester? So I have um, one class on campus. Um, You know, technically I have a couple, but a lot of them, you know, we're just going on Zoom. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I only have one on campus and I only go once a week, actually tomorrow on Thursdays. Um, Mm -hmm. But besides that, you know, the only other times I'm on campus is uh, going into the office, um, which is very rare because we've switched how we do our um, office hours. We do them on Zoom now. And, um, you know, we've switched the way that we go about doing business uh, to sort of combat the pandemic. What's the um, like, what's the vibe on campus down there? It's uh, quiet, but I think, um, you know, some students have changed the way that they go about doing business off campus. Others have not. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think uh, you're sort of seeing that in the numbers. However, you know, in the last two weeks, Georgia Southern has seen major decreases in positive uh, test results. We don't know how many tests they're giving. I asked that, and um, I was told to put an open records request for that information. Um, and so that is pending at the moment. Um, but uh, for now, I think, you know, it's quiet. It's quiet around here. And what are you hoping next semester will look like? Well, as of now, next semester, uh, according to documents we've obtained, next semester is to look exactly how fall is to look. Um and so, you know, unless there's a vaccine, uh, and this is according to documents that, that we've obtained and we'll soon be reporting on, unless there's a vaccine uh, that could be administered to faculty, staff, students, and their families, uh, we'll still be in this same sort of environment. Um, but we're also, you know, there's a mandate to have 80%, excuse me, 80% of classes face-to-face. Um, and, and that can be hybrid, as I mentioned, um, but, you know, it, as as of now, the spring is looking like it will be a repeat of the fall, scheduling-wise. Yeah. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, but also we appreciate the work that you're doing um, at the Georgian, um, managing your team and, and generating these stories um, and these investigative pieces that are, uh, you know, at least in some way holding uh, the school administration and USG accountable for what's going on here. Um, just thank you for, for all of that work. Absolutely. And, and thank you for having us on. And, and again, I'll echo myself a little earlier, you know, support your student journalists and support the Georgian uh, at the Georgian.com. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll link to it in the show notes. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Don't get too attached to Gen Z because we were once called Gen Z and then it was decided that we were millennials. So you may get some other derogatory names. I like Zoomers and I like the now there's like an an additional layer of meaning to Zoomer because, of course, everybody's doing like Zoom school, basically. That's good. Well, Alex, it seems you've you've, uh, single-handedly renamed Gen Z. (laughs) <laughs> it wasn't me, actually. It wasn't me. It was my <laughs> students who are uh, members of Gen Z. There was a moment like a year ago where suddenly all of my students were referring to themselves as Zoomers, like one week in class. And I was like, what's happening here? <laughs> <laughs>